Hey, it's Kev here. I think you're going to really dig this episode with Michael Haig. Michael is one of the most sought-after script doctors out there in Hollywood. He's a story punch guy. You know, like guys like Will Smith come to Michael before they go into production on a script to make sure the story is as tight and impactful as it could be. He's got a new book out called Storytelling Made Easy, where he walks you through six steps to telling a great story. So in the beginning, we talk all about those six steps and what goes into a great story. And then Michael invited me to sort of pitch him one of my stories that I use when I speak live sometimes, and it's appeared in in other forms, written forms. And then he coaches me on how to tell the story much better. So kind of hung it out there for you guys, told the clunky version of the story and it's great to hear Michael masterfully guide me through how this story could improve. So a longer episode than normal. I think it's worth it. I think you're going to get a lot out of it and inside you'll see where to go to get a free PDF from Michael that is sort of a chart, you know, working out those six steps that you can sort of keep handy whenever you're diving into some storytelling. All right, let's roll it. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. To the truth about marketing, it's Kevin Rogers here, and I'm excited to have you listening today because you know what we love here at the truth about marketing and in Copy Chief story, right? Story makes the world go around, it's the oldest form of communication. You know, they cut into some new cave dwelling and they start to see, you know, dissect what they're seeing scratched into the walls, and it's stories, man. Stories, and uh, one of the greatest story experts on the planet, no pressure, Michael, is with us <laughs> <Not> today. <at> all. <laughs> Michael Haig, thanks for being on the show, man. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. You and I have gotten to know each other pretty well over the last couple of years, and I was thrilled to see an email from you recently all about your new book, Storytelling Made Easy. Right, right. That's- Really excited. excited about so, that. Yeah, it's just just on the cusp of coming out. It's actually on Amazon right now, and we're going out, with, starting our blast in the next few days. It's so cool, and I know you know you met Andre Chaperone, and he kind of drug you into this world of entrepreneurs and, and business folks, and so yeah, you've, you've learned a lot about how business owners can tell their story much better and much more compelling. And we're going to dive into that some some today. I'm going to tell Michael a story in a few minutes here, and Michael's going to coach me on that story. So you're going to get to see how Michael works and thinks about story in real time. So it's going to be sort of live without a net here in a few minutes and really excited about that. Talk but, about pressure. Yeah, Talk I know. About pressure. I got to bring my A game today. It's oh, one man. thing. I got to think of a coach. story to tell. <laughs> I mean, coaching somebody already knows so much about storytelling. So uh, I, if, if is there a way I can just nod and people understand that's what I'm doing if I don't have any clever ideas? Uh, I'm sure uh, plenty. You know, it's about the it's about the fundamentals, isn't it? At the end of the day, right? It's it's I know from teaching this the sixty second sales hook, which is a super simple four step formula, but it really is kind of complicated. There's very predictable ways that people go off the rails when they're telling story. 
and you know, just to just sympathize with everybody who's trying to tell their own story, it's the hardest one to tell because especially if you're trying to encapsulate what is the one story I'm going to tell people if this is the only chance I get to introduce myself, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, there's, there's kind of a two somewhat contradictory issues when you're trying to tell your own story. On the one hand is the kind of ingrained fear, who would want to hear my story? Because I'm nobody, I'm not a celebrity, I'm, I'm not a top, you know, Fortune 500 leader or whatever that criteria might be. That's an easy one to overcome, I think, if you realize what Hollywood does. Because if you're thinking about successful movies, those are almost never about big, well-known people. Mm. Uh, they might be about superheroes, but not real life people who've, of high achievement. They're about everyday people who encountered a crisis or had a goal that they had to struggle to achieve. And then they became extraordinary in the course of the story. And it's that everyday quality, really, that people want to hear about you when you're telling a story. So that's the one thing is no one wants to hear about me. That's not true. Mm -hmm. But the other problem is then once people dive into talking about themselves, it's pinpointing what is this story actually about? Because it's not just about this happened, then this happened, then this happened, or I did this, and then this, and so on. It's about I had a specific goal. And these are the steps I had to take in accomplishing that goal. And here's how I and the situation were changed on that journey. That's what a good story is about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, see, I'm already thinking ahead to the story I'm going to share. And I'm thinking, oh, that's, uh, that's the part we're going to uncover. I think that's, that might be missing. So, well, it's so cool. And storytelling made easy. By the way, it's so most of your professional career, I think, Michael, was, you know, you're coaching screenwriters on how to pitch their story to busy, distracted, mostly uninterested Hollywood gurus, big shots, directors, producers, right? Well, that's part of it. I mean, what I started out doing even before then was working on how do you write the screenplay? Mm -hmm. I mean, my I've been working in Hollywood for like more than 30 years. And it began with me giving lectures, well, working in Hollywood on the receiving end of scripts, then giving lectures about what do we who get scripts look for? And then that evolved into both my first book and also lectures that I gave all over the world on screenwriting. And then as a part of that, I started incorporating, well, okay, it's great if you've got a brilliantly written script. But if you can't get anybody to read it, then it's never going to be on the screen of any size. So how do you, in a very short period of time, if you're on the phone or if you're at what's known as a pitch fest, where you've got at the most five minutes, how do you persuade somebody this is worth your time to read when their play, if they play the percentages, they know that 99 out of 100 scripts that come to their company are not going to be any good. Mm -hmm. So how do you hook them into doing that? So that's when I got more into the pitching idea. And it's not quite the same thing. It's not really the same thing at all. In a pitch, you've got to somehow find the key elements of that story that you can convey quickly to give somebody a sense of what the movie will look like or what the script will be, just so they will be willing to read the script. 
the script has, has to contain those elements, but there's lots of other things too. It's got to have, you know, well-written dialogue, well-written description, and it's got to have a well-structured story and so on. So there's, a, they cover the same territory, but there's a distinction in one has to tell a great story. One, the pitch has to promise a great story. Mm, that's great. And you have testimonials from some of the biggest in the business, Will Smith, countless directors. Who are some of the most exciting people you worked with, Michael? <laughs> Just name drop well, a little well, bit. Yeah, well, okay, Will, and it depends. I've worked with Will directly. I worked with Morgan Freeman. I've worked on a number of feature films. I've worked on with some people that are confidential, so I can't reveal who those are. Mm. But then I've also worked with studios and production companies on movies that have starred people where I didn't work with them directly, Julia Roberts or Jennifer Lopez or or Chris Pine or whoever it might be. So, so sometimes it's been one-on-one. And with, with Will, for example, I've been... I've worked with him off and on for over 10 years now and was on uh, a retainer with his company when they were developing projects for other people besides Will. And even up to the movie he's got coming out uh, later this year, I think at Christmas called Bright, uh, I met with him to work with him on that. So, so yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I mean, as far as Will's concerned, I, I mean, I, I love working with him and, the reason it's so much fun, I mean, it's nice to be with celebrities and he's just a cool guy, but he's got one of the sharpest minds when it comes to story I've ever encountered. Really? He, wow. Yeah, he, he digs deep. At one point, I did an interview with him that is about to be available on my website, and I asked him questions. I just interviewed him about his approach to story and we recorded it. But one of the things I was reviewing that yesterday and one of the things he said that relates to what you were saying at the beginning of this podcast, and that is when asked what's the purpose of story or what is story makes story important. He says, he said for the entire length of civilization for millennia, when we hear, let me tell you a story he said, we all lean into that mm-hmm. because stories are how we learn to live better, how we learn to make our lives better. And I thought that was just a brilliant way of putting that because I agree completely. We're looking to emotionally connect with the characters on the screen or on the page or the, the story we're hearing about. But the idea is through that character, through that person, through their experience, what can we learn about how we should live our own lives, about how to make our own lives better? Yeah, that's, that's great. It's, it's the conduit to, to dreaming, to fantasy, right? To imagining, wow, maybe I could go to that place or have that experience or feel those emotions. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons I like stories a lot better than I like real life. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because uh, as I often say, real life is not properly structured. You know, in, in real life, a lot of shit happens and then you die. That's not really that, <laughs> that enjoyable. But if you're in a story, it's laid out with a, in a way that you dive deep into the emotion and you really have that emotional experience. That's one of the things I talk about extensively in the new book, which is designed for marketers and business leaders and public speakers and entrepreneurs. And it's, it's the idea that one of the greatest 
the, the greatest power that storytelling to me has when you use it in that context is you can give a potential buyer, a potential client, an audience, the emotional experience of actually working with you, mm. of actually using your product. If you tell a success story, which is what it focuses on, a case study or a story about yourself where you achieve some success, you used your process or your product to accomplish something, if you tell that story emotionally, we actually feel the feelings of having that same success. And then it's, it, it brings your audience or your potential buyer that much closer to hiring you or sending you money or whatever, because they've already had the feelings associated with it and haven't just heard data about it. Right. No, that's a great, great point. And it's why this is the greatest time in history to be an entrepreneur, a marketer, a business owner, because we've so, it's so easy to connect on a deep level. I mean, you could hold up your phone to your face and tell a sincere story and blast it out to thousands of people. And anyone who watches it can feel the emotion that you just conveyed moments ago. And it really just comes back to understanding what Michael's been talking about here, the elements of a story and, you know, conflict, tension, desire, these kinds of things that they're the reasons we watch shows, we fall in love with characters, we sit still for two hours in the dark to watch a story unfold and feel transformed when, when the lights come back up. It's the stuff of life. So, Michael, you've got six steps for, for telling a great story in, in the new book. You want to give us those uh, six steps as a framework here? Yeah, these are what I consider to be, it's the six key beats of the story. These are the six steps you need to take the hero or the protagonist of the story through as they go from wherever they were to begin with to the accomplishment they made, to the success they had to whatever goal they had. These grow out of all of my work in Hollywood because you'll see these same exact six steps when you look at a movie. Mm -hmm. But when I started working with people who weren't professional storytellers, not, not as their primary activity, public speakers or, or especially digital marketers and business leaders and so on, where the real strength and talent and passion is for making those other connections or, or reaching customers or selling a product or convincing someone to use a process or so on. So I wanted to make this as simple as I possibly could. Doesn't, but it's all there. If you hit these six steps, then you will have the basis of a really strong story. So to begin with, before I talk, talk about step number one, let, let me just mm -hmm. clarify one thing. Mm -hmm. When I talk about the hero of a story, I'm only talking about the main character of the story, the protagonist. It, a hero to me is not someone who is heroic. Mm -hmm. It is someone who has the potential to become heroic. And by becoming heroic, what I mainly mean is finding the courage and the perseverance to achieve the goal that they're after. So the, the hero you choose for your story is critical. You really have one choice or two choices, I guess you'd say. You can tell the story about yourself, as you mentioned, and that would be an experience you had where you had a goal that you wanted to achieve. And through the course of pursuing that, that may be the way that you established one of the principles that goes into your business, that you came up with the product that you're 
you're trying to sell or that you discovered the product you're selling and saw that it helped you, whatever your goal was, lose weight or become a better marketer or tell better stories or whatever it might be. So there are the stories with you, but the other kinds of story that I think is often underused, to be honest, in my exposure to the marketing world and especially the digital marketing world is stories about people who you have guided towards success, guided because you coached them, because you're a consultant, guided because you sold them a product that helped them transform, guided because you gave them a process or a tool or a membership site or whatever it might be. And I think making that person the hero of the story is equally valuable and important. So you have to choose as you're developing the story, who do you want to be the hero of the story? Who's the one who had the goal? Who's the one who succeeded? So the six steps you want to take that hero through, whether it's you or the satisfied customer would be, number one, the setup. By setup, I mean, we need to get a glimpse. We need to see the hero of this story living their everyday life before they started this journey, before they had discovered your product or your process, before they began moving forward. They are in a situation that they've been in for some time. Oftentimes they're stuck in that situation, tolerating some negative quality or, or, or thing that's going on, but we need to see them in their everyday life. And when we are introduced to them, we have to immediately empathize with them. So the setup is also that stage of the story where you get us to connect with that character emotionally you do that by getting us to feel sorry for them because they're a victim in some way, or we worry about them because they're in jeopardy. Maybe they're about to lose their job or lose custody of a child or something like that, or because they're likable. And likable comes from being kind, good-hearted, generous. So we learn in the setup, this is someone who cares about their family, about their friends, about their coworkers, about the environment, about humanity, whatever it might be. So with those devices, those qualities, if you instill those in the character when during the setup, now you've created the psychological connection. So we're ready to go on the journey with the character. Mm. Step two is you present that hero with a crisis. Something must happen that has never happened before that's going to move them to action. Something changed from their everyday life to some new situation that they're going to have to deal with. So what was that crisis? Did they get fired from their job? Do they have a company that just got a huge order to fulfill and they don't know how to do it? Did they just get fed up? Was it one of those star, you know, straw that broke the camel's back moments that they said, I can't tolerate this job once more. I want to find something that will give me wealth or independence or freedom or whatever. That's the beginning of lots of stories from internet marketers, I find, because that's one of the thing, one of the reasons people become entrepreneurs is they want more control over their own life and success and job and so on. But whatever that crisis is, we need to find out that event and then we need to find out what does the hero of the story do in response. Their response is going to be to start asking questions. The questions are going to be, what am I going to do? Or if they're presented, let's say they're presented with your podcast. They're going to start to ask, well, is this worth subscribing to? Is this going to teach me anything? What has it done before? They're going to be in a questioning exploration mode. And in your story, you want to include that because 
it gives you an opportunity to tell the audience for the story the qualities that led the hero of the story to your product or to your process. Or if, it, if it's an autobiographical story, the qualities that led you to do the thing that you're going to try and get your audience or your potential buyer to do. Mm. Okay, so then during that, in response to that crisis, the character, the hero is going to establish a visible goal with a clearly defined finish line. That moves them to step three, which is pursuit. So they begin taking steps to accomplish that goal. Now here, two critical things. One is the more specific and visible the goal is, the stronger the story. So it's the difference between a story about someone who wants to be wealthy and someone who wants to raise $100,000 so they can send their daughter to college. Mm -hmm. Which of those immediately to you is more emotionally compelling? Yeah, it, it, it's the second, not just because that sounds like a nice thing to do, because it's okay. Now we know what we're rooting for. Mm -hmm. Are they going to raise this hundred thousand dollars? Are they going to get to that finish line? The other thing is, as you tell the story, don't just say, and so they bought my product. And the next thing you know, they had a hundred thousand dollars. That isn't compelling. That's not emotional. You've got to take us through some of the steps that they did in this pursuit so that people get a sense of what following your prescription of working with you as a consultant or following your principles is like. What are some of the things I have to do if I'm going to get on board for this thing you want me to buy? Mm -hmm. Okay, that brings us to step four, which is conflict. And that is what are the obstacles the character has to overcome? Your goal with the story must be to elicit emotion. Emotion grows out of conflict. And it also, in a weird way, adds credibility because we've all heard those promises in, you know, infomercials or things like that that say, okay, here's how you can, you know, get a six pack and you never have to get off the couch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Seven minute abs. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. No. Nobody believes those. So if you tell your story and say, so they started using my product, they, they bought this, and then it was easy street from then on, I'm going to be really skeptical. Mm -hmm. But if you say, if you describe the steps they're taking and then describe some of the obstacles they encountered, mm -hmm. those could be obstacles one thing they tried didn't work. It could be obstacles of people who tell them they're crazy. Whatever made you think you could be an entrepreneur, you should get a steady job. Whatever those obstacles are, these are conflicts that your potential buyer is already thinking about. Mm -hmm. So you might as well get them out there on the table. And now in facing those obstacles, you can say how you or your product helped that hero overcome those obstacles. So now you're answering the things that they're subconsciously or consciously worried about. Mm -hmm. So concurrently, you've got pursuit and conflict until finally you reach that magic moment where the hero crosses the finish line and wins. That's the climax. And you want to specifically describe that situation, how the hero felt and how their loved ones and those surrounding them felt as they reach that moment of victory. But the story's not over. The last all important step, number six, is the aftermath. You need to paint a picture of the new life that this hero is living, having completed this journey. So if you're marketing a product, let's say, or a process with a story, what you want is to say, and now 
the result. And, and you can say five years later, if you want, or you could say one month later, this person was on the cruise they'd always dreamed of, or this person was looking out at the ocean from the house they were able to buy. Or if you don't go with monetary things, it's they were now had a better relationship with their children than they ever had because they learned through your process how to communicate with their kids. But we need to, you, we need to see the rewards of having crossed that finish line. And you want to make sure that whatever that aftermath is, it's, it's in essence what your potential buyer dreams of. Now, it may not be that everybody that buys your marketing tool wants to live at the beach. They might want to live at the mountains. They might want to, they might not care about that, but they all want financial security. They all want freedom. They all want to be able to support their family better. So you need to paint the picture of how your, the hero of your story reached the, the life that your potential buyer already wants. Mm. And that's it. That's great. That's so good. I love it. It, This is the best. And I know you've written about the hero's journey. And I think all great story formulas are to some degree, a version or a condensation of the hero's journey, right? Yeah, absolutely. With respect to Joseph Campbell, who really did stumble upon what is, you know, inarguably the best, most effective story format. But what I love what you've done here is you've brought us through that journey and showed us how we could easily use it as with our customers, the hero, it's not necessarily about us being a hero. We're, we're, you know, another great book you may be familiar with, Michael, is Resonate by Nancy Duarte, one of my favorite books on story. And do you know that book? No, no, I don't. Well, she did a, anyway, we've heard this before, and this is one of her mantras is that you're, your audience is the hero, right? You're not the hero. And she's talking about public speaking and she, and she dissected like a hundred thousand speeches, her company. Right. And she was looking for a pattern. She said, there must be some universal pattern that all these speeches have in them in maybe it wasn't done on purpose, but there must be a reason people respond so strongly. You know, she's talking about, I have a dream. She's talking about Steve jobs introducing the iPhone the first time, you know, all these epic classic, speeches that people have studied and she found this pattern it's simply like you know here's how life is and here's how life could be if right and it sort of goes up and down but at the end of the day it's all about your hero is in the position i mean your audience is in the position of being the hero of the story absolutely back when i was saying about step one you need to create empathy with the character that's why because what empathy means is not you're no longer observing the character. It's like going to a movie, a really good movie. We're not just observing what's going on. We become that character. You know, in Avatar, we're the ones going to the, to the planet. And in Silence of the Lambs, we're the ones trying to stop the serial killer, whatever it might be. It's the same in any story you tell. You want to, you, the way you make your audience the hero or your reader, if it's an email series or something like that, is you create that psychological connection through that empathy, through creating sympathy or jeopardy or likability. And once, we have, once you've established that psychological connection, then your audience is the hero because they're experiencing the story you tell through that character. Now, she's talking about something a little bigger, which is in an overall speech, 
how do you make your audience the hero? I assume from what you just mm-hmm. said. Right. And that's true too. I, I specialize in story, which is right. one part of a bigger speech, but it's the same basic principle. You want to present whatever you're presenting in your speech. It's, it's like Will said, we're listening to what you're saying because we want to live better lives. Right. How can we make our life better? And as soon as we can see I am in the situation of the person up there on stage. I can envision myself in whatever it is they're promoting, whether it's a system of morality or whether it's using a new ballpoint pen. Once that connection is made, that's how you capture the audience. You say, do what I'm describing here or do what the hero of my story did and your life will change. Mm. So good. I love this stuff. Great stuff. Michael Haig. Again, the book is Storytelling Made Easy. These are the six, what'd you call them? The crucial beats, the essential beats of a story? Yeah. I, I call it the six step success story process. But yeah, these are the six essential steps. Yep. I mean, the, 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 the book, you, I'll mention the subtitle because it's Storytelling Made Easy. And then the subtitle is Persuade and Transform your audiences, buyers, and clients, simply, quickly, and profitably. The reason I mention that is because that's who this book is really designed for. People in front of an audience, people who want to help people as consultants or with membership sites or whatever it might be, or people who are offering products and services who want to to attract more clients and customers. That's what this book is designed for, as opposed to my other books who are designed for professional novelists and screenwriters and filmmakers. Great. And I'll give you, there'll be a link in the show notes to go get. Michael has a chart and I'll give you the URL right now so you can see those six steps that Michael just walked us through. It's storymastery.com forward slash success story chart. And again, that'll be in the show notes. So head over to copychief.com forward slash T-A-M. You can always find all the details of all these great interviews. All right. So yeah, Michael. And that one's, yeah. let, me, let me add, mm-hmm. that one's free. I mean, that's yep. not the book. You can right. find out about the book there. But this is, I, I put together a chart that lays out the six steps and what the elements of each of those steps are. And then also along with that, there's uh, my explanation Plus a story. I I did an interview with a business leader and then he told me this fantastic story. I translated into written form using the process. And so you can see the Mm. six steps in action. And then I explain what, what the elements were and why those made it an emotionally involving story. So all that is just, you know, just a freebie, just so you'll have a better understanding of the six steps. Fantastic. Very cool. Can't wait to get my hands on that myself. Hey, it's Kev here, and I got something cool just for you. You know, we ask, what's the one thing you've done in your marketing that's produced the most surprising results on the show? And people give really cool answers. Well, I've taken what I consider to be 10 of the best of those answers, and I've assembled them into one convenient download for you. You can get it at truthaboutmarketingshow.com. You know why I chose these 10? Because they're interesting and actionable things that you can listen and go ping 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 light bulb moment and take it and put it into your marketing and see results immediately okay go get it go dig it go do it truth about marketing show.com it's free and it's yours hope you enjoy it okay so 
I changed the story I'm going to tell you as you were going through the six steps. Uh oh. <laughs> and I, I immediately saw how this could be a better story just hearing you describe those steps. But I'm not going to try to add that on the fly. Okay. But this okay. will be interesting because I'm just going to tell you the story the way I've always told it. And really fascinated to hear your feedback. And then I'll share with you what popped into my head as I was thinking about it, as you taught the six steps. All right. Okay. So here's the story. It's very, you can certainly relate to this because I'm sure you know many people who have been in my position. It's when I was a struggling stand-up comic. I was, you know, a good five or six years into my career. I'd been on the road. I mean, I made my living driving to small towns, far distances from each other and telling jokes to drunken strangers for very little money. <laughs> and, then, and when you're in your 20s, that seems like a, a, a fine idea. And, but I was getting a little burned out, and you're always kind of hoping for that big opportunity. And a friend of mine was given a development deal to, have, to star in a sitcom. And his name is Tom Rhodes, and he's a, a great comic. And NBC wanted to make a show around him. And they promised to make a pilot and see, what, see how it went. So... This was all very exciting, and Tom invited me to ask me if I would be his writer on the show. He knew that you know there would be a team of writers, but he wanted to make sure somebody in the room had his voice, and he knew that I knew his voice very well. And so he invited me to do this, and I said, yes, that, that would be very exciting. It felt like, wow, this is that break we all hope for. This must be how it happens, you know? This opportunity comes along and you have to go for it. And so I packed up everything I owned and I left Chicago and drove my, you know, 1988 Ford Crown Victoria <laughs> out to California. And I moved into a small apartment with two other guys. And we were, you know, living there just all trying to make it in Hollywood and, and get seen and get some attention. And I was really hoping that this writing gig would come through. And, you know, we're just broke. I, I, the problem with moving from the East Coast to the West Coast was I had, I had no West Coast connections or gigs or anything. So I couldn't really, I couldn't afford to fly back East and do gigs. So I was pretty broke and miserable out there. So, but here comes the big break and Tom's show, they make the pilot. Pilot's great. He's got a great cast around him and the show gets bought the show gets picked up. So here we go. Right. It's, it's finally going to happen. And they'd been telling Tom all along when he said, Hey, I've got one guy that I, that will be serve as my writer. He'll represent my voice in the writing room. And oh, cool. Yes, of course. Sure. And so the show gets picked up and now it's like, all right, you know, when does Kev start? And they're like, yeah, we're going to need to see some of his work, you know, at least a spec script. And here's the thing, Michael, I didn't even know what a spec script was. <laughs> I had never written a sitcom. I was just there. I thought I would kind of be punch, right, to represent Tom's voice and, and put the jokes in his, in his voice. And they were like, yeah, it doesn't really work that way. We need to see his work. So now I had to, I found out what a spec script was. And I made the classic mistake of I, I uh, all I had you know, there's only the pilot script for the show. So I wrote my spec script about 
the, the, Tom's show that only had one episode in the can, which, as you know, is a huge mistake. Uh, you don't write for the show you're trying to get a, a gig with. You write for another show. And so that was embarrassing. And then so then I went and I wrote a spec script about a different show. And, you know, they looked at it and ultimately said, look, this guy's not really ready. I'll tell you in the, you know, the guy who created the show was another comic, a friend of Tom's. And he said, look, we could bring Kevin in as a, as a writer's assistant, but he's going to be going to get Jamba Juice and they're never going to see him as a peer. Uh, it's much better. Let's wait. If the show gets picked up next year, Kevin can come in the room and, and he'll be a legitimate writer. I'll have the clout to get him in at that point. Great. So that's what we did. So there I am sitting in Los Angeles now through all these episodes. And, you know, at least I got kind of close to it, but, you know, I'm still broke. You know, Tom put me on his payroll with like survival money. I'm running to the dry cleaner and doing errands for him and getting a few jokes into the script, but he had to go bring him in, you know, as himself and just miserable out there in, you know, you live in Los Angeles, Michael, you know, that you, it's not the place to be with no money. Right. It's just like, look, it's like, it's like breathing on the glass of a beautiful department store everywhere you look, you know, it's, you can't have any of it. And, and then the show did not get picked up a second season. And at this point, you know, I lost a lot of momentum with my stand-up career. I'd been out there a year and was really lost and broke and miserable. And I, I had no idea what to do next. And, and I also learned through the process of being out there and being sort of that close to the gig that it didn't look so sexy anymore, right? None of those writers looked happy. You know, this, what I thought would be this amazing gig of, you know, sitting around being creative all day really looked like torture. These writers were, were pretty mangled from the looks of it. And so I'm sitting out there and I'm lost and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm, and I'm at a car wash on, on, in North Hollywood. And the other thing that's weird about L.A. is when you're looking destitute, you know, nobody talks to you, right? And I, you know, I could walk through a grocery store. And I, was, I grew up in the South where people are friendly to each other. And people just look right through you or right past you. And so I was just kind of growing used to not being acknowledged. And I'm sitting there waiting for my car at the car wash. And this lovely woman sits down next to me and she's just chipper and she's talkative and she says hello to me. And she says, Oh, isn't this weather beautiful? I was, I was just in Chicago and it was so cold and rainy. It's so great to be back here. And I thought, Oh my gosh, she actually talking to me. I can't believe this <laughs> that I said, yeah. Oh really? Chicago. I, I, I'm from Chicago. What were you doing in Chicago? And she says, well, I was, I was doing the Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey show. And I'm looking at this woman and I thought, oh, she looked maybe like she could be a medium or something like that, right? And I said, oh, what, what were you doing on Oprah? And she said, well, it was part of a where are they now type of show. And I played a, a character called Mrs. Kravitz on Bewitched. And I said, oh, yeah. And suddenly I recognized her and I knew who she was. And, and we're having this lovely chat. And she's asking, what, what am I doing out in L.A.? And I tell her this saga and how the dream I thought I wanted, I no longer want. And I'm feeling lost and confused and sort of depressed. And she says, uh, you know, I'd love to help you. You seem very nice. I could give you my agent's number and see if maybe he could look into some stuff for you. She said, but I don't know that that's really the best thing I can do for you. She said, 
So along with my card, I'm going to give you a piece of advice that my husband used to always give to people. And he would say, you know, sometimes in life when you don't know what you want, you have to start with what you know you don't want and go from there. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks, you know? It was like, wow, it was, it was so simple, but it was so profound that at least I had now step one of what to do next. And that was to recognize that the thing I knew I didn't want was to be in LA anymore, you know, uh, feeling broke and miserable and like I have no options and no direction. And so a week later, I packed everything I had back into my car and I headed west back to Chicago. And it was the first time I'd ever, you know, loaded my car with all my stuff to move away from something rather toward, you know, than towards something. And that was the, you know, journey of the next part of my life, which eventually brought me to, to what I do now, which is copywriting. So that's the story. Okay. So I'm going to do what I do with any client I work with, with a story and anyone really in any situation like this, I'm going to start by asking you some questions before I start saying, well, you should do this and do that. Because one way I put it is my job is to help you realize your vision of what you want this story to be and do not mine. So if I just said, well, you should change this and this, it'd just be my vision of your story. Yeah. And the first, the first question I would ask now I'm going to, I'm going to pretend like you just came up with this story in the sense that I know you've used it and, you know, had good success with it, but I'm going to, I, I haven't, I, I may have heard versions of it before, but I'm approaching it as a brand new story. I haven't heard either. Mm-hmm. Okay. And my question is, who is the audience for this story? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. I guess the audience for the story is anybody who's ever been at a loss for what to do next in life. Okay. And what would be the context and in, in what, how would you be reaching? Is this something you would say on stage? Is this something you do in one of your podcasts? Is it, is it a written Yeah, let's blog? say, let's say I would present it live. Okay. And what action do you want the people hearing this story to take? I want them, that's a good question. Cause I'm not a mindset guy. I'm a copywriting guy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I want, <laughs> I, want I, I, I may not be a mindset guy either. I've never heard that term. So I just, uh, so the act, the simple action I want them to take is I want them to, if they're interested in becoming a writer and, and want to do it on their own terms, you know, they could come to copy chief and get all kinds of tips about how to start a writing career. Is that congruent or is that a leap? Okay. So your goal is to get people to come to copy chief. Is that what you said? Uh, yes. Let's say I'm telling that story on stage. Well, what I really want them to do is, is feel, be able to relate to that moment that I experienced in that and really focus on that simple moment of having this, that it, it, sometimes you have to just take a step back and simplify your direction before you can really find what you're looking for, right? So, I mean that's on a meta level what I want people to feel and experience from that story. But to be honest, I've never used the story as a conduit to get them to take action on something I have to offer them. It's just a story I know that people relate to. 
Okay, so since we don't want your podcast to be two hours long, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna cut through some of it because right. I would challenge you on both those answers. Okay, I don't. I think globally, of course, you want people to come to your site and and start tuning into your podcast and read your blog and so on. But that's not what this particular story is designed for. Any well-told story is going to increase an emotional connection with you and your audience. So that's good. But the other answer you gave, I think you do want them to take a little more specific action than just evaluate. I think you want them to ask themselves Am I doing? Am I doing what I really want to be doing mm. to achieve whatever my goal is, or am I putting up with a whole lot of shit just because, in the hopes that someday there's going to be some pot of gold for that? That's what I got from the story, mm. anyway. Yeah. That's what I got as the as the as the turn for you when she gave you that piece of wisdom. The thing of if you don't know what you want, ask what you don't want. And you, as soon as you ask that, you want them to ask the same question that she told you to ask yourself. Right. That's what I would say. That to me is the power of the story. Yes. Okay. So given that I would, I would give you these suggestions for the story. Right. The first one is the story's too long. Yeah. And that's an easy one. But if you think about the six stages, it was pretty much all stage one and stage two. You did a great job with the setup. You were a struggling comedian. Like when you just said the thing, I was telling jokes to drunken strangers. Okay, that is a perfect example of creating empathy through sympathy with the hero of your story. The hero being you, but we're looking at you in the third person now as the hero of the story. Now I'm talking to you, the second person who came up with it. But the hero of that story, we immediately feel sorry for. Okay, that creates some real empathy. The opportunity was perfect. You get a call. I've got this opportunity for a show. Yeah. I'm going to go work on that. But then what, and that was fine. And also you did something else that I don't usually talk about. It's a key Hollywood trick. And that is when the opportunity, when the, one of the things an opportunity does in changing a person's life is it changes location. Mm-hmm. You see in a lot of movies, somebody gets their opportunity and then, uh, Tom Cruise moves from Boston to to uh, Memphis in the firm because now he's going to go to work for the Bandini Land. Yeah, that classic Mark, shot right? of okay. the plane yeah, taking exactly. off and landing. Exactly. Yeah. Or in your case, the, what was it? The Ford? Uh, yeah, the, uh, 1988 Ford Crown Victoria. Yeah, Crown yeah. Victoria. Okay, so we can see aerial shot of a, of a crummy Crown Victoria <laughs> right along Route 66 or something. Okay, right. so now you're there. Now what you need to do is condense that part of it down. Mm. I don't think we need to know that you you were on the first season one way and the second yeah. season another way or that it got picked up or maybe it would or maybe it wouldn't. Okay. I think you just go to my friend. So my friend told them I want to work I want him to work on the show. He's going to be my voice. Mm-hmm. And what I what what I didn't realize is they had a whole other idea of who should be in the writing room on a show or however you want to phrase it. You, you phrased it fine. And pretty soon I, you know, and the first thing they were doing is asking me to write a spec script and I had no idea how to do that. I tried, I made the biggest mistake anybody can make. And that is I wrote a script for that very show instead of a sample for another show. And the next thing you know, 
my being a part of telling the story was me running errands for my friend while everybody else was working on the story in the mm. other room. And he was giving me money and so on and so on. Now, what you need to do, though, is you need to formulate a specific finish line mm -hmm. because you were just sort of miserable until you met this woman, yeah. which has more the quality of an opportunity. We want to turn this into a goal. Right. So what, what your goal is, I was desperate to come up with a way that I could actually be happy with what I wanted to do. Okay, or mm -hmm. however you want to put it, but we need some kind of finish line that we're rooting yeah. for you to do before you go to the car wash. So you can say, I was trying my best. I really wanted to make it in Hollywood. And, and I should qualify this too. This is, this is what you might call a failure story. Yeah. And here's what I mean. You're going to have a goal that you are not going to achieve. Mm. And we are going to learn from that. And so your, so your goal might be, I really wanted to make it in Hollywood. I was just struggling, but all I was able to do is this. They weren't responding to my writing. Nobody cared about me, but yeah. I wanted this. I was desperate to do this. And then I met this woman and she was nice. And the whole part of the story about the woman and meeting her, that was great too. And I was thinking, and when she said she would introduce me to her agent, I thought this could be it. Maybe mm. this is why I'll achieve my goal. Mm. And then she gave, says, let me give you one more piece of advice. And then she gives you the advice. And then you didn't stay with the climax. Mm. You didn't, and you didn't give us the aftermath. The climax is I thought about it and I looked around and I realized that I was miserable. And no matter how much success I got in Hollywood, I wasn't going to be happy. I didn't want to be here. I was pursuing a goal that wasn't really in an arena I, I truly was suited for. I didn't really want to be a TV writer. And I realized that I was going after the wrong thing. And the first thing I needed to go after was my own happiness, my own contentment, was a sense that I was living my own life and not trying to live somebody else's. Okay, wow. so that's, you, that's yeah. your finish line. Yeah. Then, you, then you stepped on your aftermath. You mm. said, and that led to the next chapter in my life. Right. No. He says, says, you jump to, and now it's, uh, and you can either go to right now, or you can say, I headed back to Chicago. And three years later, I was doing da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Wow. Or three years later, I was making six figures. Yeah. I was, and most of all, I was living what I wanted to, doing what I love. And I realized I never would have gotten there had I not, you know, acknowledged or had I not taken a good look at myself and admitted that I was unhappy going after what I thought would be a pot of gold, but it wasn't really me. That's the message to your audience. And now you're, that's why I said you're, you're the action you're now wanting them to take is take a look at what you're doing, you know, ask yourself, are you really doing what, what you want to be doing? Mm. Are you really pursuing a goal that's true for you or however you want to phrase it? Now, the, that by sharing that, you've done a, a number of things. Number one, you've created a really strong connection with your audience, whether it's from the stage or I'm sure people who are hearing that for the first time on this podcast, they really get how that was an important turning point in your life. 
But now, by giving the aftermath of what you're doing, and yeah. we know that you're planning the idea, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe this Kevin has something good to offer. He did something back in Chicago or wherever you headed that led to success. So that makes me more interested. Okay, they're thinking to themselves, so okay, what are you doing, Kevin? How might you be helpful to me? Or maybe I, maybe if I look at what I'm doing now and discover it's not for me, you would have some alternatives. So you're moving them eventually. You're getting them to, to sort of turn in the direction of what else you have to offer. But mm -hmm. the goal of this story is most of all to give them a gift and then figure that with the connection you create by doing that, they're going to want to have more connection with you. Wow. That's great. Man, that's a great coaching right there. And yeah, totally, totally. It's, it's so great to have. And this is why, you know, we always say nobody writes alone, right? This is the, this is it in action in black and white. So Michael hearing my story and seeing the part, like they say, no aftermath and, you know, just sort of, you know, a, a flaccid climax, if I could use those two words together, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, now here's... <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's, that's just terrible. That just, isn't in my book. There's nothing move in move right my on. Book yeah, about, we're not blaming Michael for that. contradictory phrases yeah. about flaccid climaxes, but, but it does create a, a, an image that I would really like to get out of my yeah. head, frankly. Well, well, let's move on. You can, yeah, you can uh, go watch a good movie or something after this. But here... <laughs> Here is the element that uh, I, it occurred to me that I don't include in the story that is, that is actually part of it that would make it much more compelling. And tell me if, if you agree. Now, what I don't mention previously when I tell the story is that when I started my stand-up career, one of the first things that happened to me was I met the woman that I knew I was supposed to marry. You know, every, once in, every so often in life, people meet the one and they know it's the one. And that happened to me and my wife, fortunately for me, felt the same way. But I was 19 and I was just the beginning of my journey as a comic and, and, and so was she. So we sort of had this long distance love affair for the longest time. And before I moved to Hollywood, on the way to Hollywood, she was living in Boulder studying to be a uh, you know, massage therapy. And uh, we spent a glorious week together and it really solidified our love. You know, it really was like the, wow, we were right. We are supposed to be together, but how will it happen? And so me going to Hollywood, what it, my real desire to succeed was I thought this is the break that everybody hopes for. And if I can succeed as a, as a TV writer, I'll, I'll be able to create a life for us and I'll, I'll be able to, compel her to, to come be with me and move her business here, right? And uh, when everything fell apart, uh, one of the, again, being out there a year and being away for a year, I kind of lost that potential. So when the show failed, I was also kind of losing the love of my life or how, I didn't know how am I now going to compel this woman to, to come be with me, right? What do I have to offer? And so I think that makes that, that climax even better when she gives me that line. And I realize what I don't want to be is sitting here broke, miserable with no direction and never finding out if Michelle and I can be together. And I, you know, week later I packed, I left. And, you know, first thing I did was call Michelle and said, I'm coming to get you or something like that. Right. Mm hmm. 
What do you okay. Think? So, well, <laughs> and here I am back. You thought you were rid of me and now I'm giving you more coaching. Okay. That, that would be fine to introduce that. Just be, be very cognizant of the fact that now it's a different story. Now it's a love story, right? Yeah. Be, well, it's that, but the message is, is significantly different mm. because you changed your goal. Mm. Because that could be a great story about finding the love of your life. Mm-hmm. That could be a great story about maybe not finding so much as winning or, or, or figuring out, well, let's just put it that way, winning the love of your life. Mm-hmm. Because you'd already met her, you found her, but winning. And so you tell the story with much the same beats. The other beats would be pretty much the same, except mm-hmm. when you're at stage two and you're trying to figure out what it is you want, or, or no, you're, you're in stage two, you figure out what you want to be. So you're in stage three, you're going after the goal, the, the, which is success in Hollywood, but you put in right there the idea that the whole reason you wanted to do that is because right. you had met the love of your life, and you had, to, you had to make yourself worthy of her love, you had to be able to support her, you could, you could lay in a number of yeah. reasons, and so when that woman gave you that advice, that's, that's going to be the, the same point. But what's different is now what you realized is you, were re- you needed to rearrange your priorities. Yeah. And you needed to rearrange your belief. In fact, if I, if I had longer to work with you, what I'd probably dig into, and I'll just share this a bit now. One of the things I talk about in the book, and I do often when I coach, is I say, okay, you can tell the six stages like you just did. And those six stages can mostly be about the physical activity, the external things that happen and the external goals you have. To to get to the level of truly powerful story, you need to go inside the hero and ask, what are they afraid of? Mm -hmm. And so if you would be willing, and I'm knowing you, I'm sure you would be, to be vulnerable enough to say, where did the belief come from that you only deserved her love if you were making a certain amount of money? Mm-hmm. Where did you get the idea that that was the qualification to be with someone who you already knew and she knew as well right. as your destiny? And now the message you're giving your audience is even stronger because it's not only get your priorities straight, but it's you've got to find the courage to recognize where your belief about Uh, about achievement or about relationships or whatever came from. So then if you can find the courage to let go of that and get back in your crappy car and go back still looking destitute and say, I'm here Mm. and, and understand that they're going to accept you for who you truly are. And not because you're some writer in Hollywood. That's a wonderful lesson to give people too. too. But if you try and do both, it's mm-hmm. going to screw up the story. Yeah. And yeah. that often can happen where it's, it's sort of like sometimes writers can't think of anything to say, and then they get going, and now they're thinking of everything mm-hmm. they could pile into their story. Right. Not that I'm accusing you of doing that, Kevin, but, but <laughs> in general, it's, it's you, a, a story can be complex, but it can't be complicated. It right. can't go off in several directions. Right. So again, we go back to the first question. Who is your audience and what action do you want them to take? Do you want them to confront something to do with relationships mm-hmm. or confront something to do with career choices? Right. And, and 
then that's that's one of the places your work is because you you've already got a good story you got the elements of a good story the th this you were wise to think this is a story i could tell and share with people to benefit them but you haven't gone deep enough or specific enough about what exactly is that i'm sharing yeah. what exactly is my goal and what do i want them to be able to do after hearing right no that's great that's great. So true. And you're right. I mean, it, it, and these are the choices you have to make when you're selecting a story, because sometimes, as we saw here, there's a couple of ways you could go with it, or there's an element you could introduce, but like Michael's saying, totally changes the story and changes where I'm bringing people. I think it adds a layer of tension and it, it, it helps my desire seem more, what's the word I'm looking for, noble because I want to win this girl and I have it in my head that the only way to do that is to succeed. It, it, it's not just about me wanting to get this job I hope that to have, right? But at the same time, it kind of muddles the ultimate point of the story and, and what I'm delivering there. So, uh, well, it only muddles it if you're trying to hang on to the old theme as yeah. well as add the new theme. Right. Either right. one will work fine. Either yeah, but you got to choose fine. one. Right, yeah. right, right. I think the second version involving your relationship is going to probably go deeper because I, and one reason I think it will is I sense it will get you to a somewhat more vulnerable place. Mm -hmm. And when you're a storyteller and you can find the courage to be vulnerable and really open up about about your own fears or the fears you had at the time and not just the external obstacles that is going to create a much deeper connection with your reader or your audience or your subscriber or follower but it and also it's going to create a much deeper more effective message that you're giving them because it comes from so deep it comes so much from the heart and something that they will have experienced emotionally because they're identifying with you as the hero so if you can if you can do that that's probably the one that would would serve you better overall but the other one was fine too because that has a very important message as well mm -hmm. and i thought i i took away something strong from that yeah. so pick one and then go with that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Wow, this was great, Michael. Really enjoyed it. And I feel like I owe you money. Because <laughs> I know you can pay a lot yeah, to do this yeah, with yeah, Will Smith. And, yeah, uh, I don't, I, I, yeah, well, I have one fee as a story <laughs> expert and consultant. Another one is a therapist. So I'll figure <laughs> out what this was, and then you'll be getting my bill tomorrow, okay? I, I, what I'm thinking to myself as we're talking is, you know, we had a goal with this podcast. You know, we wanted people to take action, and that is starting telling better stories or, or telling stories more or not be afraid of them by going through these six steps. And now I'm wondering just who's left listening to the podcast <laughs> because I, I've, I've heard your podcast. They don't all last more than an hour. And I yeah. tend to get all excited when I talk about story and you were into it too. So I don't know if we crossed the finish line very effectively or not, but I had a great time. I did too. And look, I think for people who really care about story, uh, if they made it through my my bloated conflict section, then they <laughs> they were very well rewarded to hear your feedback and and how the story could change. Because look, they just you know uh, again they're the hero. They apply this to their story, and that's what's great about a hot seat like this is you 
it's much easier to watch it happening to somebody else, you know, and get eureka moments. So thank you for sharing your, your expertise. Again, storymastery.com. You want to do forward slash success story chart. Storymastery.com forward slash success story chart is where you can get the free chart of Michael's six steps to telling a great story. And of course, you're going to want to look for the book, Storytelling Made Easy, available now on Amazon, Michael? Yes. Awesome. In, in, in digital and hardback version or pa- paper version yes. or whatever you say. So you man. can hold it or you mm-hmm. can gaze at it, whichever you prefer. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll have links to all that at copychief.com forward slash T-A-M. Thanks for being on The Truth About Marketing, Michael. Let's do it again. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks so much for having me. This is great fun. We'll talk soon. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Truth About Marketing podcast. If you like this show and you think other people would like this show, the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in iTunes. Just log in, click review, leave a big old fat five-star review, and let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too. To get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode, please go to copychief.com forward slash T-A-M, as in truth about marketing. And if you'd like to uh, learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro, do all that on the inside of the members area of copychief.com, and I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.